Illinois State University ready to move on from the brief tenure of Terry Goss Kinsey as president, but there's still much we don't know about her exit. People are going to have their race a lot of questions. All that does is add more fuel to the fire. More on this story just ahead on WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. Also on the show, there is a new cannabis club at ISU. We're here trying to make a difference. We're not just a bunch of lazy stoners who want to talk pot. And a play coming to normal tells the story of John Wesley Powell's 19th century exploration of the American West. A story of discovery, bravery, and some whitewashing. The confliction is that these lands are already inhabited and we're behaving as though they're not. Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal News update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. BNA's educational video series, Hear My Story, continues with local patient Jerry Newkirk. In retrospect, absolutely, I wish wish that I would have done it sooner. It's, it's a very necessary sense that you need to take care of. Jerry's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. On the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. Well, ISU is hoping to turn the page following the sudden resignation of its president. The University Board of Trustees was expected to name Provost Andave Tarhuli as its interim president today. Tarhuli would become ISU's sixth president or interim president in the last decade. WGLT's Eric Stock looks back at the tumultuous couple of days on the ISU campus. The news came Wednesday in a brief statement from the university entitled Board of Trustees Announces University Leadership Changes. Terry Goss Kinsey, ISU's 20th president and first female president, had resigned less than two years on the job. The board planned to appoint Andave Tarhuli to the presidency on an interim basis. No reason was given for Kinsey's sudden departure. ISU Trustees Chair Kathy Bone said the board thanks Kinsey for her contributions and wishes her success in her next endeavor. Kinsey says she'll pursue other opportunities. Kinsey's resignation came one day before ISU's Founders Day celebration. Kinsey's departure did not come up. At the event, WGLT asked Kathy Bone from the Board of Trustees for a comment on Kinsey's resignation. The board does not talk. The board does not talk about uh, personnel issues. Why is that? It is uh, the policy of the board. That is why stunned uh, executive session, and we can't comment on that. Kinsey's separation agreement includes a silence clause that restricts what she and the board can say publicly about her exit. Bob Dobsky, whose term on the ISU Board of Trustees recently expired, did shed some light on Kinsey's departure. Dobsky said Kinsey committed no wrongdoing. Dobsky was on the board during discussions about Kinsey's status. Dobsky said it was more a case of it was not the right fit. Dobsky says there's no comparison to the situation with a former university president, Tim Flanagan, who was accused of assaulting a university worker. There's another significant difference between Kinsey's exit and Flanagan's. His 2014 departure came during his first year on the job. He also got a much bigger buyout. 
Kinsey's separation agreement allows her to receive an additional $144,000. That is far less than the $480,000 that former President Flanagan was paid to go away. In fact, it was more than three times Kinsey's severance. At the time, Trustees Chair Michael McCuskey said ISU did not believe it had enough cause to fire Flanagan and issued the payout to avoid a court fight and a potential award for Flanagan that far exceeded the amount paid. It's unknown how much Kinsey negotiated the terms of her own departure. And that's another reminder of how much we don't know about Kinsey's exit. And that does not sit well with a former head of the Illinois State University Governing Board. Bill Salaski says he understands the secrecy issues involved in personnel matters, but that does not help the institution. People are going to have their raise a lot of questions. The quicker the information can get out there, whatever that is, it helps to calm things down so people aren't sitting or drawing their own conclusion. All that does is add more fuel to the fire. Zelaski also questioned the use of consultants in presidential searches. He says a couple of those have not worked out, and he wonders whether the university is getting its money's worth from the consultants. If, in fact, we're going to spend the kind of money that we do, why do we have these so-called mismatches and poor fits of the choices that we make? And we've had a history of a couple of those. In an interview with WGLT, a member of the search committee that found and recommended Kinsey praised her first-rate academic credentials and said she was the most qualified of the applicants. The committee member said, quote, sometimes personalities don't work out. There's more to being a president than having a great resume. Well, Kinsey did have some support in the ISU campus, particularly in athletics. Redbird Athletics Director Kyle Brennan said on social media, Kinsey was the most supportive university president he's ever been around, and she'll be greatly missed by student-athletes, staff, and coaches. Among them, ISU men's basketball coach Ryan Peden. I was obviously surprised, like everyone else, and uh, I, uh, I just know how much she, she meant to, to us. That audio comes from ISU student media outlet The Vedette. Kinsey's successor also seems to have his share of support as he prepares to step into the president's role. Provost Andave Tarhuli came to the university in 2020. Art history professor Leah Klein chaired the search committee that hired Tarhuli. Klein recalls Tarhuli started just before ISU's first full semester under COVID protocols. So he really got a baptism by fire in his role, and and I think he's really proven himself to the faculty and the students um, over the last um, couple of years. Klein also praised Tarhuli's shepherding of ISU's new equity-oriented College of Engineering. That won approval from the Illinois Board of Higher Education last year and will enroll its first students in 2025. John McHale was a communication professor and member of the Academic Senate. He says Tarhuli has a good rapport with the faculty and will make an excellent interim leader. My interaction with Provost Tarhuli has revealed a great curiosity in his mind about the various academic units, how they operate. He really has tried to understand our university culture. Tarhuli is expected to serve in the interim role through June 2024. With reporting from Ryan Denham, Charlie Schlenker, and Lindsey Jones, I'm Eric Stock. You can read all of our coverage regarding Terry Goss-Kinsey's resignation at WGLT.org. Coming up on Sound Ideas, a preview of a play at Illinois State University called Men on Boats. But spoiler alert, there are no men and no boats. That's coming up 
in about seven minutes. There's a new student organization on the ISU campus. It's called the Cannabis Club Redbirds. And before we even get started, they want to clarify something. We're here trying to make a difference. We're not just a bunch of lazy stoners who want to talk pot. <laughs> That's Jackie Heim, president and founder of the Cannabis Club Redbirds. Heim and Vice President Grant Winkler are agriculture business majors at ISU. In this interview with WGLT's Ryan Denham, Heim says one of the reasons she created the club was to challenge misconceptions about cannabis, to open up a conversation. I don't feel that it should be stigmatized. Um, I mean, we don't stigmatize alcohol in the same way, and I just don't feel like cannabis should be. But Obviously, that's my feelings. We got to get other people to feel that. So opening up a conversation, making um, making it seem normalized. You know, this is a business that is going to, you know, we're already a big business. Um, we're already making and generating a big income, just cannabis in Illinois, cannabis in the entire country. Um, so I feel like it's we're already there. We need to start acting as if it's a serious business too. But I guess now that it exists, like what are some things that the club is going to do? The purpose of it now moving forward, at least from my point of view, would be to get the like-minded individuals who are into cannabis for the same reasons all together and start using the, the club as a way to reach out to companies and like say, hey, we have a whole bunch of people interested in your field. They want to know stuff about jobs. They want to know what they can know. Could you send out a representative to come and talk to us? You know, we're truly trying to work at being a club that is active. Um, we have some plans um, for some volunteer hours. And at the Horticulture Center. Yeah, we want to set up maybe a time uh, for the club members to come volunteer at the Hort Center. Um, we might work on doing some alternative spring break. Um, as a club, there was a few, uh, I think, events kind of already ongoing that we might sign up for. Now, Jackie, you already work at a cannabis dispensary here in Normal. What is it like to work at a dispensary? Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, some days it's really laid back. Uh, it, it's a laid back atmosphere with a lot of regulation, if that makes sense. We have the state can literally look into our business at any time. We're completely 100 percent on camera all the time. And, you know, it, and there's always that like I don't want to call it a fear um, because we don't really operate under a fear. Like, but it's more like we know that there are some major ramifications if we mess up. So we try to all do our job very professionally, even if it means like slowing down, taking the time to to make sure we have, you know, dotted our I's and crossed our T's because it is a very regulated product. Now, do either of you um, plan to or want to work in the industry after you finish your degree at ISU? Oh, both of us definitely do. Absolutely. I think we both see ourselves owning our own companies in the field and trying to shape this growing field as we move towards federal legalization. I think there's no better time to get into it. And I'm very grateful that Jackie put this club together. Because as an agricultural business major in college and knowing that this was the route that I wanted to go down, but not even my school can recognize it as a, a possible career, it kind of leaves a lot of students lost. So getting all of the ones who want to go this way into a club can really help move them on to the next step of the university doesn't provide anything. What type of business would you want to go into? Are you talking about some kind of craft growing operation, some sort of locally owned dispenser? I mean, in your head, what does that look like? Um, for me, I guess knowing and navigating the business a little bit already, I see myself maybe starting a more cannabis adjacent business, uh, consulting, um, maybe getting into having uh, cannabis events, that sort of thing, marketing. Um, I, I 
personally plan to work in the industry and get a lot of knowledge under my belt before I go off and, and open my own business. I want to make sure Illinois is the state for that. It might be something that, like, say, Michigan might favor the type of business. Eventually, I would like to have, like, my own craft boutique cannabis business. As for myself, I see myself owning a large-scale marijuana cultivation organization that controls not every uh, not only everything from like planting to the production of, of bud but also extracts edibles tinctures production all along the line controlling all the different products that weed can go into I would also see myself wanting to produce that at large scale end game I, I hope to control everything from when the plant is planted to the products it goes into just a couple of weeks ago from um, from this conversation the normal town council rejected a plan for a, a second cannabis cannabis dispensary w- what did you make of that I thought it was a little silly to be honest with you where it was located I think that was the main issue um, and the way I look at it is Right in that area, there's restaurants that serve alcohol, there's places that serve all, there's a CVS pharmacy, there's different, you know, and if we're really thinking as cannabis as medicine, you know, which for a lot of people it is, recreational or not, it, it really ought to be treated as such. You know, there's such a barrier to, for people being able to get what they need. I, I see medical patients driving well over an hour to come to our dispensary to get the specific thing that they need that works the best for their condition. There's a lot of barriers to um, that side of it. it. It almost seems like in our area, the nearest medical facility besides, you know, beyond hello and normal would be to go to Peoria or Champagne. Mm. You know, if they don't have your product, you know, some folks who are in like the Decatur area are driving even farther, you know. Um, and, and so that's kind of a, a sad thing to me. You know, if you're not making people drive as far to get their medicine from CVS, why are we making them jump through hoops to get their medicine from the dispensary? Especially when we have the medical now we're getting a lot more you know studies that are backing up what you know what cannabis is actually doing for different things you know different ailments so it's sad to me i don't like that that's isu students jackie heim and grant winkler the president and vice president of the new cannabis club redbirds they spoke with wglt's ryan denham We're going to stay on campus here on Sound Ideas for our final story, the theater department at Illinois State University bringing to life a satirical, mostly true telling of local hero John Wesley Powell and his 1869 expedition through the American West. Powell's journey with other erudite explorers is hilariously captured in the play Men on Boats. The play opens in the Westoff Theater at ISU. Here's WGLT's Lauren Warnicke with a preview. Director Maggie Marlin Hess says she could not wait to get her hands on Men on Boats. Ever since I saw this title, gosh, almost like two years ago now, I knew this was a piece that I wanted to do. The play runs February 17th through 25th at Illinois State University, where Marlin Hess is also a musical theater professor. While Men on Boats is a straight play, Marlon Hess says she was drawn to its potential for movement. It's not dance choreography, but it is stylized. And you're trying to, you tried to imagine different water flow, like because all down the river, they're float either they're floating down the river or they're at camp. We're on the river now, crew. There will be churning. There will be swells. Keep your bearings. Steady. On. Oars up. Oars out. Oars up! Oars out! 
I worked with the actors and we improvised movement. We found different patterns and tempos and effort levels in the movement qualities and played with that. It wasn't that technical when we were in rehearsal. We were just kind of, let's go, okay, now try this, now try this, now try this. But of course, as a choreographer, I'm looking for those elements that allow each moment to be different from the last. Okay, let's back up a bit. Jacqueline Backhouse's Men on Boats is loosely based on John Wesley Powell's 1869 expedition on the Green and Colorado Rivers in the American West. Yes, the playwright Jacqueline Backhouse calls it a truish retelling of John Wesley Powell's expedition, government-sanctioned expedition to explore the Green River and the Colorado River going down through the canyon and out the other side. My name is Major John Wesley Powell. I'm the leader of this expedition. I'm aboard the Emma Dean, the boat named after my wife. That's Amanda Hoople who plays Powell in a rehearsal of Men on Boats in the Westhoff Theater at ISU. Powell was not a major, by the way, although he liked the title for himself. And if that name sounds familiar, it's for good reason. Powell figures prominently in Central Illinois history. The Civil War veteran lost his right arm in the Battle of Shiloh. He served as the second director of the U.S. Geological Survey and first director of the Bureau of Ethnology at the Smithsonian Institute. And he was a professor of geology at Illinois Wesleyan University and lecturer at Illinois State. <laughs> and so John Wesley Powell keeps immaculate journals. They're poetic and they're full of detail. He has a map maker with him and they're charting this territory as though it's this new frontier, which is a... Again, another theme that is like the premise of this is manifest destiny, this uh, idea that I guess the American United States settlers like moving across the country, it was a God ordained mission to carry out and settle these wild lands. Does this play honor that? Does it make fun of it? Does it criticize it? I would say all of the above. It celebrates the bravery of this man and the the idea to of ambition and going out and exploring and discovering, much like like the race to outer space, right? It's an honorable idea to pursue. The the con- confliction is that these lands are already inhabited and we're behaving as though they're not. Uh, so then we have that, you know, discover- there's a wonderful scene where John Wesley Powell is looking out, he climbs up to the top of a, of a cliff and he's looking out over it with some of his boatmates and they start wanting to name things. So what should we name that mountain? Do you have an idea? I have a few ideas. And I have a few ideas. Oh, I just have a few ideas. Summer, do you have any ideas? No. So Summer has no ideas, and you have a few ideas, and I have a few ideas. Should I do my ideas? Yeah, let's do Okay, okay. Here they are. Dunn Mountain! And there's an interchange at the very end of that scene where like, huh, maybe I'll move back here then and live here where this Dunn's Cliff named after me. Maybe I'll come back and live. Like, hmm, I wonder if it's inhabitable. Is it safe? Can we survive here? One of them mentions, well, you know, native tribes, indigenous people have been living here for, you know, centuries. Like, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> and then they joke, oh, yeah, you know, and here we are. They probably named all this stuff already. And here we are naming it after ourselves. Oh. And there's also a feminist bent to this play because the men are not actually men on boats. Is that right? 
That's right. Halfway through writing the script, Jacqueline Backhouse discovered she could not be in her own play. So <laughs> she did a 180 and decided, okay, this play is based on historically white, cisgendered males. So the cast is everything but, uh, which is gender, race, all of that was opened up to be anyone who does not identify as that can now be in this story, can now be the adventurers. What did you do to coach the actors to dig into those deeper issues, but also embrace the fact that this is on the surface just like a really funny show? Yeah, it was definitely a balance. We started off with acknowledging what are all these themes we see here? What's, what oppression are we pushing up against here? But not with a heavy hand that can turn off audience members that may still be negotiating their relationship with some of those ideas and terms. So we would bring in those issues, identify, okay, and now there's gonna be a joke about it. And you've gotta completely commit to like a parody, right? Like a satire. So just, I guess, if you can elaborate further on the, the permission to laugh and <laughs> to see the, the joy and the ridiculousness that's yeah. packed in this play. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The access point is that we're not seeing white cisgendered males living the story chronicled in his journal, right? It's everybody who's not. That gives us an access point. The bravado of these men is just, you know, just their confidence. I wish I had an ounce of their confidence. Eyes in the front, keep your eyes in front of you. Don't worry about this. Go round the swell, round it. Round it. Just we pulled it. Eyes to the front, we won't portage until we can find a bank. A uh, bank, bank, I, I see no bank. Row, row, keep rowing, hard, hard. Hard, keep rowing. I'm rowing. My name's Orville. This play reminds me a lot of Indiana Jones, and we have this hero that I don't know how he doesn't fail each time he tries to do something. He looks like the most incompetent hero to be, you know, like fighting off all these different things and pursuing the, this heroic mission. He seems completely incompetent, but incredibly, incredibly confident. So I think that bravado, that overcommitment, that that SNL style satire and parody, we can laugh at the truths of our society. We can laugh that this is a true thing. Men on Boats opens tonight and runs through February 25th in the Westhoff Theater at Illinois State University. I'm Lauren Warnicky. Tickets for Men on Boats are 10 to $15 available online at fineartsillinoisstate.edu. Support for arts and culture programming on WGLT comes from PNC Financial Services. We're focusing on giving back as part of an ongoing commitment to the community PNC serves. Thanks for choosing WGLT Sound Ideas today. Our news magazine is made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton. Thanks for story help today from WGLT's Lauren Warnicky and Ryan Denham and Eric Stott. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT and WGLT.org, part of the NPR Network.